Welcome into the Solo Shot Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Dom Mana. Happy Solo Shot Saturday, everybody. I did not want to keep talking about the Red Sox this offseason. It has been a hot mess. It has been empty throttle in a lot of ways. Uh, but just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. Not only did they bring Theo Epstein back in a ownership role, uh, with the Fenway Sports Group, where he will be primarily working his magic with the Boston Red Sox. This is a guy who doesn't want to be involved with something that he doesn't see as a potential turnaround, as a potential success, as a potential stepping stone in his illustrious Hall of Fame career in baseball. But it has been announced by MLB and Netflix that there are two projects being created with Netflix and the Boston Red Sox being that guinea pig. The first one being a 20-year retrospective on the 2004 Red Sox that broke the curse of the Bambino, won their first championship in 86 years, and the second one being a Hard Knocks-esque documentary following the team around all season, both expected to come out sometime next year. Now, before I get into my Red Sox point of view on this, I have to say, this is a great step for baseball. It is a sport that has been lacking marketability. It's a sport that has had trouble reaching younger audiences. And when you can make a deal with a juggernaut streaming service like Netflix and get in the door with current baseball players and the product, I think this is a huge step for Major League Baseball. Give people an inside look into how a team is run, how a season goes, how taxing it is, the different characters and contributors that come into a season, whether it's the players, the coaches, even the equipment managers and ball boys, like everybody that's involved to make a season happen. It's a huge effort and undertaking. Nick Pavetta of the Boston Red Sox is their player rep for the MLBPA, and he was apparently the one that was really pushing this. Nick Pavetta doing this in a contract year uh, as a guy who's been between the rotation and the bullpen. This is a huge feather in your cap uh, that you're able to pull this off. Now, as a Red Sox fan, this is not the season you want to have documented a second time over. Uh, they have been cutting payroll like crazy. They have been gaslighting their fan base about how they want to spend. They've been actually cutting payroll. They've been taking players from teams that have given up on them, essentially. And I just very much wonder if this Netflix opportunity makes them push to look better for the national audience. Because I do think that the majority of people that watch this Netflix series will be Red Sox fans, but there will be a huge chunk of people that are casual baseball fans or who haven't watched baseball in some time or ever, but want to see the inside look on a major league baseball team. And I do think that those general fans in baseball, if they haven't been paying attention, really look at the Red Sox as a team that's won four world series in the, in the millennium as a team who has one of the highest payrolls almost every single year, as a team that is a juggernaut, a team that has the baseball's oldest ballpark, like all those things, those buzzwords, 
they're looked at as a high-end franchise and they're just not acting like it recently. If they have a third straight last place finish where they sell more than they do anything productive, I don't know what that's going to do to the general public image on the Boston Red Sox, but I do think bad exposure is better than no exposure and Major League Baseball is going to take a step up with the general public audience and growing the game by having their content on Netflix. And I do think that the Red Sox were smart. They are celebrating the 20th anniversary of breaking the curse in 04. And that is something that is documentary worthy. And now that Theo Epstein's back in the fold, a lot of the key players are still with us. Unfortunately, Tim Wakefield recently passed away. It would have been great to see him in that but this is a great time for them to relive it. And the sports documentary era is still like striking while the iron's hot. The 2004 Red Sox were a team of destiny in many ways. The comeback against the Yankees in the ALCS, the trials and tribulations from the year before with the Aaron Boone walk-off. It was a great team. And I do think that they're going to get great viewership from that 2004 storyline. And I think they used that great juicy material as a way to kind of position themselves to get that full season documentary type thing for the 2024 season. 20 years later, what does the Boston Red Sox look like now? Uh, and maybe they're going to try to spin uh, the lovable loser narrative into what they're currently doing and leave the documentary off on a higher note that oh, Marcello Meyer and Kyle Teal came up at the end of the year and this is the future of the Red Sox and will they be able to accomplish the World Series heights that they did in 2004, 2007, 2013, and 2018. Uh, I, I hope it's a positive spin. I hope the Red Sox aren't a train wreck that people can't look away from uh, and that this documentary does well for both them and Major League Baseball as a product. But Major League Baseball as a product has had a problem with small market teams not willing to pay their guys. And Bobby Witt Jr. did not have that problem. Yes, Kansas City, who's had an overhaul in their front office recently, is looking to catapult into building a new stadium in the coming years. And they have a young superstar on their hands. Bobby Witt Jr. was a no-brainer extension in my opinion. This is a guy who plays shortstop effectively well, is a great hitter, steals bases, and they agreed to the biggest and most lucrative contract in Royals history. 11 years, $288.7 million. Congratulations, Bobby Witt Jr. We love that for you. We love that. So this deal includes options that could raise the total figure to 377.7 million. It's actually a similar kind of clause to the Julio Rodriguez Seattle Mariners deal. And I'm just so happy. Bobby Witt Jr. is one of the most electric players in baseball, and he truly is a difference maker for the Kansas City Royals who have had a Nice, quiet offseason bringing in some talent. And I think that if they want to bring up fan intrigue and catapult into a new stadium, they need to have that face of the franchise. And Bobby Witt Jr. is just that. 
if you're wondering where Bobby Wood Jr. is pacing right now in baseball history, he's among some really good names. So players with at least 20 home runs and 20 stolen bases in both their rookie and sophomore season. There's been plenty of rookies that have done this. There's been plenty of sophomores who have done this, but consistently doing it two times. Veda Pinson of the Reds, who I believe should be in the Hall of Fame, 1959, 20 home runs and 21 stolen bases. In 1960, 20 home runs and 32 stolen bases. So he took a jump in the speed. Mike Trout, 2012, 30 home runs and 49 stolen bases. And then 2013, 27 home runs and 33 stolen bases. Julio Rodriguez, 28 home runs and 25 stolen bases last year. And then 32 home runs and 37 stolen bases. A big step up for Julio and Bobby Witt Jr., 20 home runs and 30 stolen bases as a rookie, and then 30 home runs and 49 stolen bases as a sophomore last year. He is a hashtag stud, and I love to see a smaller market team like the Royals willing to pay their guy. I applauded the Mariners when they extended Julio. I'm applauding the Royals when they extend Bobby Witt Jr. It couldn't have happened to a better young player playing a premium defensive position. He was a third baseman coming up. So he has the ability as he ages throughout this contract to pivot over to third base or maybe even second, uh, but he will be a Royal for life. It looks like and Royals fans everywhere are rejoicing because their only franchise player right now is George Brett. Otherwise everybody else who would be potentially on the Royals Mount Rushmore, Bo Jackson played football for other teams. He played baseball for other teams. Zach Greinke left for a big chunk of his career before coming back last year. Um, Eric Hosmer and those 2015 Royals, none of those guys were lifetime Royals. So all those guys who went to other teams, that core of young players. Alex Gordon is a guy who is in a lot of people's Royals, Mount Rushmore, and he was a very good player, a great defender, but not a superstar. Bobby Witt Jr. is a superstar, and I'm so happy for him and Royals fans everywhere. Congratulations, Bobby Witt. So the rumors and signings, as we are a week away from spring training, have been on the lighter side. Gary Sanchez signed with the Milwaukee Brewers one year, $7 million, looking like he's going to be more of a DH than a catcher, but he will relieve William Contreras from time to time for Pat Murphy and the boys. I don't really get that signing. You trade away a lot of great players, and then you sign Gary Sanchez to give him regular at-bats. Uh, maybe they're looking to trade him to a team that needs a catcher or needs a DH somewhere in the middle of the season. But it seems like a lot of teams are operating that way, where if a catcher can slug, they'll use them as the DH, a la Mitch Garver. And Gary Sanchez is hoping to fill that role for a Brewers team that added Reese Hoskins and lost a lot of quality pitching as well in the last year and a half. The Red Sox are looking to move Kenley Jansen. I told you they've been shedding payroll and maybe he doesn't even want to be part of this documentary, this a possible train wreck. Uh, maybe he wants to just go to a contender and get more saves, trying to push for 500 in his career. He's owed 16 million this year, but it is reported that both the Dodgers and the Phillies would be interested in trading for the possible future Hall of Fame closer. Uh, he's a guy who, is making a little bit more money, I think, than some teams would want. But when you are a true contender like the Phillies, like the Dodgers, 
getting a guy like Kenley Jansen in that bullpen can be the difference. You saw in the NLCS last year, the Diamondbacks bullpen was the difference between them and the Phillies. And we still, a week away from when pitchers and catchers arrive, still have no Blake Snell. And Jordan Montgomery apparently has not gotten any serious offers from the Texas Rangers as the World Series champs look to kind of make their payroll uh, and budgeting with the TV deal go over. So it is really crazy that Jordan Montgomery, who was a big part of the Texas Rangers World Series run, who isn't asking for a ridiculous amount of cash, He's looking to be in the ballpark of Aaron Nola. Has not been signed. Uh, Scott Boris is really striking out right now with Cody Bellinger, Blake Snell, and Jordan Montgomery. And Matt Chapman is also out there as well, a guy who I know isn't the best hitter, but a platinum glove at the hot corner. Nonetheless, there's so many teams that are really struggling at third base, and uh, I think Matt Chapman needs to find a home ASAP. The San Francisco Giants a team that has missed on everybody doesn't have formal offers on the table to any of these guys. As far as we know, Matt Chapman ha- apparently has no official offers. Cody Bellinger apparently has no official offers. Jordan Montgomery apparently doesn't have any significant offers and Blake Snell only has one significant offer. Scott Boris. I know you, you try to hold out for your clients for them to get the most money. You can only get paid once sometimes in baseball. But these guys, it's going to be an uphill battle if they don't sign uh, before spring training starts and they miss some reps. They miss the pitchers, especially getting chances to learn their new catchers and work with the pitching coaches to try to level up something and work on things. So these guys got to get signed. And uh, I wish there was more rumors about where they're going to go. A lot of people are hopefully pushing out there that, Kenley Jansen being traded would open up the Red Sox to sign a Blake Snell or a Jordan Montgomery. I don't think so because even if they paid top dollar for either guy, they could stay under the luxury tax right now. So I don't think the 16 million of Kenley Jansen is affecting that either way. It's reported that Jordan Montgomery is with his fiance living in Boston this off season. So the fact that he doesn't have a significant offer from the Red Sox yet doesn't tell me that he's going to get one anytime soon. And these little minor moves continue to get floated out there uh, about signings, but there has been one retirement and uh, Corey Kluber, the Klubot, after 13 major league seasons has called it a career. This is a guy whose peak was hall of fame worthy that uh, nasty slider winning two Cy Young awards, having one of the best modern pitching seasons we've ever seen completely falling off the cliff, uh, becoming an opener uh, towards the end, a guy who just was giving up home runs left and right and wasn't known uh, as that guy. Uh, He threw a no-hitter for the Yankees, but everything that he did after leaving Cleveland was kind of a blur. And it's it's a shame he now goes into that category of Brett Saberhagen, of Johan Santana, of Tim Lincecum, of guys with two Cy Youngs, but no way they get into the Hall of Fame counting stat-wise. Uh, I think that Saberhagen and Santana have longer peaks than Lincecum and Kluber, so they have better chances at the Hall, but it's going to be tough uh, for him as a two-time Cy Young winner to get 
in the Hall of Fame. And you look at Jacob deGrom, who's going into year 11, where he's not likely to pitch uh, as that next guy that when he retires, he's going to join that group. I think if Jacob deGrom can put together one more elite healthy season where he wins a Cy Young, wins that elusive third, then Jacob deGrom can release himself. But right now, we're talking about Blake Snell not having any suitors. We're talking about Corey Kluber retiring. Two Cy Youngs is fantastic. It's better than a lot of pitchers get. Nolan Ryan, one of the greatest pitchers ever, doesn't have a single Cy Young in his trophy case. But when it comes to your entirety of your career, those two seasons can't overlook the the body of work that other elite pitchers are willing to put together over a 10, 15, 20-year career. Here at the Solo Shot Sports Podcast, we like to throw back down the third baseline to this day in baseball history. And February 10th had a few good ones. Uh, Keith Hernandez signed a five-year deal with the New York Mets where he helped them win their first World Series since 69. In 1986, he was a driving force in that. Uh, There were apologies by the likes of Jason Giambi for getting caught with steroids. Uh, There were Negro League players like Judy Johnson getting elected to the Hall of Fame, a moment that I liked that happened on the same day, February 10th, 1971. Los Angeles Dodgers acquired left-handed pitcher Al Downing from the Milwaukee Brewers, a guy who gave up Hank Aaron's 715th home run in a Dodgers uniform, got traded there on this day in 1971. But there was a broadcast that happened this day that was historic. And on February 10th, 1971, Bill White, became the first black play-by-play broadcaster in Major League history for WPIX-TV. White was on a team with Phil Rizzuto, Hall of Fame shortstop, and Frank Messer on New York Yankee broadcasts. The former All-Star first baseman will stay in the booth for 18 more seasons, leaving in 1989 to serve as the first black National League president. Bill White is a guy who put together a nice little playing career. But like so many, that was not his only contribution to the game. And I cannot believe that when looked at during this last era committee as a baseball contributor, as a baseball lifer, that Bill White at 89 years old, when they're prioritizing getting living candidates in, was not elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame. He was a champion with the 1964 Cardinals. He was an eight-time All-Star, seven gold gloves at first base in his career, 1,700 hits, 38.6 career war, over 200 home runs, a 286 career hitter, a really solid baseball player, which is supposed to, with the new rules, be included in your case. So he was a really solid baseball player, eight-time All-Star, seven-time Gold Glove, over 200 home runs. Not Hall of Fame worthy as a player alone. But when you look at his career, being a scout, being a broadcaster, the first black one in 1971, and 
but then being the National League president, the first black man to do that as well. Bill White's baseball career is one of true legacy. And the fact that he didn't get in and he just turned 90 on January 28th, I thought was a real miss by the era committee. Uh, It's something that I truly was upset for him because it was really his last shot, in my opinion, uh, to get into the Hall of Fame. Uh, Lou Pinella looked like the slam dunk. He didn't get in. Jim Leland looked like a maybe. Joe West looked like a maybe. But Bill White was the one that, like, if you're going to elect one of those three maybes, he he's the one that's done the most for the game and is the oldest by far of the three. So I hope Bill White, I wish him great health. I hope that when this committee meets again in three years, he is still with us at 93 years old and gets the call to the hall. But Bill White, first baseman, the broadcaster, and the National League president, broke the color barrier in the play-by-play booth on this date in 1971. Cheers, man. Now... The Super Bowl is tomorrow. The big game that we've all been waiting for as sports fans, as football fans. It's a great opportunity for us to get together with our friends and our family, eat some really amazing food, kick back a few drinks, and watch the most televised programming all year <laughs> in sports, in media, etc. And this one is going to have a lot of intrigue, not just because Brock Purdy is Mr. Irrelevant and is looking to be the first day three quarterback to win a Super Bowl since Nick Foles did, but because Patrick Mahomes through six years has played a full regular season in the playoffs now, and his passer rating is higher. He has 45 total touchdowns. Him and Travis Kelsey have broken the record for most playoff touchdowns between a quarterback and receiver. And he's looking. They've both been to three in their first six seasons, Brady and Mahomes, respectively. Right now, Brady's 3-0. Mahomes is 2-1, and losing that one to Brady. But he has a chance here to have three throughout his first six years, just like Tom Brady did with more talent as a passer and an athlete with maybe more of a shelf life with the way the game is today. It's going to be hard for any player to play 23 seasons like Tom Brady did, but Patrick Mahomes, man, I know every Patriots fan out there is picking against the chiefs because they don't want the Brady conversations to start. But if you were a fan of Brady and how he approached the game, You're a fan of greatness. And to me, I'm not going to bet against Patrick Mahomes. Probably ever. (laughs) He has earned my respect to that extent. He has won games that he shouldn't have. He's made plays that only he can make. And he truly takes his game up to another level in the postseason. His passer rating's higher. Uh, His touchdowns are amazing. And 
he's truly a pleasure to watch. We talk about Shohei Otani, how he is talked about so much that he's almost not talked about enough and that he's underappreciated in a lot of ways because he makes the extraordinary look routine. Patrick Mahomes is that in the NFL. He makes impossible plays look like backyard football. And I truly enjoy every opportunity I get to watch him, including this Sunday. So I'm going Chiefs. uh, And I think that it's the best defense he's ever played with. Travis Kelsey has had a resurgence during the playoffs. And Pacheco runs angry. So they have everything they need to to have a balanced attack against the 49ers. The 49ers top to bottom, more talented roster, no doubt. And if Brock Purdy wins, not only would that be amazing as a Mr. Irrelevant story that the documentary is already being scheduled, but helping Kyle Shanahan, a guy who collapsed as the offensive coordinator in the 28-3 comeback loss uh, as the Falcons OC, then losing against the Chiefs in 2019 as the head coach of the 49ers with Jimmy Garoppolo. It would be redemption for Shanahan, whose family is football royalty. It would be a first of championships for many future Hall of Famers on the roster, uh, like Fred Warner, George Kittle, Trent Williams, and Christian Caffrey. So it's it's really a can't-lose game, but I, I'm not going to get bet against the Chiefs and Mahomes. I think they're going to win by quite a margin. And I do think that during the halftime show, during the commercials, this is going to be one of the most viewed Super Bowls of all time. It's not only a great football matchup on paper, but there's so many points of intrigue for so many different audiences, whether it's the Usher fans that are coming out of the woodwork for the halftime show or all the fans of the girl who's going to be in Travis Kelsey's press box. See, you can have a couple minutes of Chiefs football talk without mentioning her name. It is possible, everybody. I hope you guys all have an amazing weekend. Please be smart, be safe. We're in this age now where there's so many rideshare services There's so many ways to schedule out a designated driver. Don't do anything stupid on on Sunday night. Super Bowl Monday should be a holiday, uh, but I I wish all of you the best of luck recovering from all the things you put in your body on Super Bowl Sunday and have a productive work week as well. I appreciate those of you, Will, Jake, everyone that joined me live in the chat, uh, as well as everybody who listens to this pre-recorded. For more baseball reactions and content, you can follow me on the app formerly known as Twitter at DominicMana44. Have a happy Solo Shot Saturday and great rest of your week. I'll catch you guys in the next one. Peace.